And, uh, you know, we're talking on Wednesday night now about you and the Holy Spirit. And so to hear about those three ladies who were baptized with the power, what is the power for? It's for witness, you know, so that people may come to know the Lord. So now we have, yes, we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are saved, but are baptized with the Holy Spirit when we are saved, but that constant filling for power to overflow and to minister to those who know Jesus and those who don't, to those who are hurting. So I'm just, I'm really proud and excited. I'm I'm really thankful to have my wife home. Um, It's good to have her back. And Matt, I'm sure she missed you, buddy. I'm I'm sure she did. And Mary, um, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, (laughs) if she goes away again pretty soon, we'll know. Hey, I want to talk to you before we get into the message. First of all, if you're visiting with us, thank you for being here today. It's so good to have you. I, look, I see some new faces here today, several new faces here today. My name is David. My wife is Stasha. We've been here for almost five years now, and we get to serve alongside the most amazing people in the surrounding Mooresville area. Um, so Abundant Life is a wonderful group of believers who just love the Lord and love each other. So um, I want to talk to you about a couple opportunities. You'll see up here on the wall we have love, faith, community. Of course, for aesthetics and the look of it, community is in the middle because it's a longer word, so it looks nicer. But we're about love, faith, and community. And uh, yesterday we had a few guys show up at the Serenity House and were trimming hedges and blowing leaves. And so I just want to thank the guys who showed up for that uh, because we do believe in getting out and reaching out. We have a couple more opportunities that I just want to tell you about um, real quick. I sent out an email. By the way, if you are not getting my weekly emails from the church, Please write your email on your bulletin and hand it to me on the way out, you know, the part where you're supposed to fill out, and I will get you on that email list so that you can stay in the loop with what's going on here at the church. Um, But you heard Miss Gail talk about an opportunity to go up and down the street. We call it Hello Neighbor. Why is it significant? Why is it important? Well, this is a dead-end road here. And, I mean, this just kind of came to me. It's kind of cheesy. But this is a dead-end road here, and we don't want anybody to meet a dead end without knowing Christ or at least have the opportunity to know this is the, many of them pass by here. It's the first place on the left that they pass by. And we want them to know that we are here and we love them if they ever need us. We care about our neighbors. So what we do, and this sounds, you know, if if you're not a get-out type of person, it may sound a little bit intimidating. But I don't want you to be intimidated because we have, we usually go out in about groups of two and three. And we'll go knock on the door. And if you're a little intimidated, we'll send you with Miss Vicki or Matt or someone who's not at all intimidated, who likes to go knock on the door. And so we, we tell them right up front, you know, we're not scary people. We're your neighbors. That's why we call it Hello Neighbors. So it kind of sets them at ease. And uh, here's what we have found. We do this quarterly for the last three or four years. And so we are very welcome in the neighborhood. And we just say, hey, we have a um, harvest par- uh, fall. What is it called, Sarah? Fall festival coming up at the end of the month. And we want to invite you to that. Also, Feel free to come to the church. By the way, we have this for you, and we'll have like a little gift that we'll give to them uh, as well. And we'll just say, can we pray with you about anything? And you know what? We have, I would say, at least half of the houses, we pray for people at the door, and they love it. They absolutely love it. So if you're kind of one of those people, you're like, I want to do it, but I'm not really outgoing, we'll pair you up with somebody, and I promise you, you will love it. The other thing I want to tell you about is an opportunity coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, This is called Love Life Charlotte. 
And I want to just take a few moments to share this with you. Uh, several of the pastors, we, we meet um, once a month. The pastors groups meet once a month. And a representative from Love Life Charlotte came up, and he began to talk to us about what they do. Uh, you know, abortion is uh, something that is a, a hot button, and it has been in our society for quite a while. And uh, so he was talking to us about how we could get involved proactively to, um, one, pray, first and foremost to pray. And so here were, first, uh, here were a couple of my questions at first. Okay, I said, you're from Charlotte, we're from Mooresville, why would we, uh, we have a, a clinic here that doesn't do abortions, but it helps ladies, and we're very involved with that, but why would we get involved? Well, Charlotte is um, the closest city that performs abortions. There's no one around, nowhere around here that performs abortions. So if ladies are going to get abortion from Mooresville, they go to Charlotte, okay? Now, here's my other thing. I'm not a guy who likes to go confront, you know, and, and, and of course, we don't yell at people. You're a sinner. You know, we don't do any of those things. We believe that God is a restorer of people. And so let me read you a couple of these things and then what we're going to do. Here, here's the, um, what they call the tragic truth about Charlotte and the surrounding area, including Mooresville, Concord, all the areas that are around. Abortion is the leading cause of death in Charlotte, not cancer or heart disease. 150 to 200 babies are killed weekly. One in three women have an abortion in their lifetime. 73% identify as Christian who've had an abortion. There are three abortion clinics and over a thousand churches just in Charlotte. Now, when you pull that outside of Charlotte, you recognize the impact that churches can have. Here's what we're going to do, okay? Because I'm not, you know, whenever I drive down the street and I see people holding signs, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm not into that. That's not something that I'm into. Other people are, and they, it, it works for them. Here's what we are to do. And uh, in a couple of Sundays, we're going to have a representative to come. I'm going to show a video next week. But we want to bring hope, and we do that through prayer. What we believe, one of our core values is what? It's prayer. We pray. So the whole mission of Love Life Charlotte is to pray. A representative will come. He will give us an idea of what's going on. We will take the whole week of the 22nd to pray. On Wednesday, we will fast. What are we praying and fasting for? Shame and, and, and retribution and all these things? Absolutely not. We pray for the ladies who go to the clinic that they will make a decision to not have an abortion. We pray for ladies who have had an abortion that God would be their redeemer and would help them deal with the, the guilt that they have faced in their lifetime. Again, God is a restorer. We pray for the abortionists and we also pray for the owners of the clinic. It's a private clinic because we know that God's love is big. And he can reach out and he can, he can touch the hearts of the owner and the abortionist and um, totally have them to a place where they said, you know what, we, we've got to change what we're doing here. Here's what happened in 2016. 400 and through, we believe, through prayer, through these groups going out on Saturday. I'll get to that in just a moment. 411 families chose life at the abortion clinic. 80-plus churches in 2016, ministries and businesses united with Love Life Charlotte. 10,000 people prayer walked, which is what I'm getting ready to get to in just a moment. There were a 40% drop in abortions on the prayer walk days. When the church would show up to pray across the street 
from the clinic, not on the clinic grounds, but across the street just praying, there was a 40% drop in abortions on that day. This one gets me. 12 abortion workers from the Latrobe Clinic left their job in 2016. 10 leaving in the final three weeks of the 40-week campaign. Some of them even joined the prayer walk on December the 3rd of last year. Fifteen thousand plus people took at least one day to pray and fast, and then there are mentors that go beyond that that help the ladies who have chosen life, and they want to mentor these ladies on who they are in Christ. You see the impact that Love Life Charlotte has, and here's what I'm asking in the email that I sent out. Let's get involved in one of these areas, either yesterday uh, at the Serenity House, walking um, our street to pray with our neighbors, or to get involved with this. Now, maybe the Saturday you can't go, but I'm going to ask you to pray, and on Wednesday, we'll have more details, but on that Wednesday, to fast that whole day to pray uh, for, for this ministry that's going to be happening. Nine o'clock on Saturday morning, the 28th, I think it is. Um, We are going to meet down in Charlotte. You'll get a um, t-shirt. There's um, an app that you can put on your phone so that you can hear what's going on. And all we do is we walk down and we stand in front of the clinic and we just pray. You'll see people with their hands out. There are people there who's not with Love Life Charlotte who will minister to the ladies who come out. Again, if there's a 40% drop, those ladies are going in and they're leaving. Right, And so they're able to minister. All we do is pray. So I'm not asking you to be confrontational. I'm just asking you to pray. So we'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. But I want you to consider it. I want you to consider to be a part of at least the prayer and the fasting through the week. But I want us to have a great representation. We'll be joining with other churches as well to go down there. It won't just be our group. There will be other churches that we will meet. This is a 40-week Uh, plan and each week are different churches so we're coming up to the end of the season we're coming up to the end of this why do they choose 40 weeks because that's the term of pregnancy the average term of of pregnancy that's there so let's just be in prayer about that okay and I want you to join me amen that's going to be good well we're talking about the one another's and and I thought it was appropriate um, when we're talking about the one another's in this series, uh, yes, we are dealing with those who are within the church, but this also reaches to those who are not within the church, right? So I thought this was very appropriate to have this where we put action to what we are talking about. And also, I am working on confirming, I think it's the second week in November, to have the police chief come here to our church and the chaplain to come here to our church just to give us a greeting. He, won't be speak- he will be speaking, but not the main message that day. Some of you, it may be a good idea if you stay home that day, if you have a history, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm totally joking about that. But we want to be able to pray for our community and thank God for Mooresville. Thank God for the police chief and the chaplain who's down there. Well, that's enough of what I wanted to talk about uh, for what God is doing through this series and and through Abundant Life. But, man, Stasha and I love you all so much. Thank you for your ministry. Well, um, we are in the middle of a, a series by Tony Evans called The One Another's. We're learning how to relate to one another within the church. And uh, Miss Gail, thank you for reading that. I don't have to read it now, but it, it, it talks about uh, Romans 12.4 as our bodies are many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's bodies. We all, Christ's body, we all have a function within the church and we are covering one of our core values. We're taking this whole year to cover 
one core value per series until we get through all six core values that we feel that the Lord has given us. The theme for the year is pursue. We pursue God, and in this, we are, we are committing to love one another because you do at times. You have to commit to love certain people because they will rub you the wrong way. They will get on your nerves at times, and you do. You have to commit to love other people. Within the church, <laughs> within the church, you have to, oh, great, here comes so-and-so again. I'm going to sit on the other side today. You know, it, no, don't tell me you don't think that sometimes. But we want to see how we can love the people that God has blessed us with. Abundant life is, and again, thank you for those of you who are visiting with us today. But we're a family. We love one another. The church of God, if you are visiting with us today, we are the church of Christ overall. We are one big family across the world. And we've got to learn how to deal with each other. Why is that? Because one day we're going to be in heaven together. Well, Pastor David, everybody, there'll be perfection then, and Miss Gail won't bother me, you know, when we get there. Well, that may be true, but let's learn how to get along now, and, uh, and we'll be fine. So, I want to talk to you a moment. Uh, the race is in town. How many race fans do we have out there? Automobile, or you work in racing, or your family works in racing. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Um, I want to talk to you about racing. For those of you who know, I do some race ministry and have done in the past quite a bit of racing ministry. I want to talk to you about a race car for a moment. There are many steps taken to get a bare chassis to the racetrack. Now, what's a bare chassis? It's just the rails that are on the bottom of the car are rolling. You know exactly what that is, didn't you, Mama Lee? There are so many steps that are taken to get a bare chassis on the racetrack to it's going to race. Hopefully it's going to race today. We'll see with the rain and everything. But teams will often have a master checklist of everything that needs to happen to get it ready. They have paperwork, so it'll go to this department. And so Eric has a department at work. He does the electrical wiring and everything. So once he's done, he has to sign off on it, check it, and he'll send it to the next department. Or people will come to that car and begin to work on it. Each car also, at least at the race shop where I am, um, each car will also have what is called a cart. So if this is car number 897, then it will have a cart that says 897 on it, and all the parts on that car go into, on that cart go into that car. So they don't get things messed up because typically they'll have five or six or eight or 10 or 24 cars that they're working on at one time. Some of the bigger shops, they'll have a bunch. So they don't want to be getting parts confused. You need certain parts at some racetracks where you don't, you know, you need a windshield wiper at the road courses and you don't need them everywhere else. All these things. All this preparation, though, especially with the chassis, begins on what is called a surface plate. You familiar with what that is? A surface plate is a piece of metal that is perfectly laser level. In other words, it's not off by a sixteenth. It is perfectly, am I right, Danny? Am I right? All my racing people out there, Eric? It's, it's laser tested. Why is that? Because when that car gets to the racetrack, NASCAR is going to check it out. And if that car, what's your tolerances, Danny? Three? Sixty thousandths is the most that you can be off. Or you're going to have to go back through the inspection line, or you're going to be disqualified, or an encumbered win. That's happened in a lot of teams this year uh, where the, their measurements have been off. So anyway, they start on this, uh, this surface plate that is level. So as they're building this car, it will match NASCAR's templates so that their car will not be disqualified. Are you following me so far? It is a perfectly level surface. The foundation there is perfect to ensure that the required heights of the car are correct. Now, I wanna, let's translate this here for a moment. 
If your plate is not level on a secure foundation, you're disqualified or you have to go back through potentially missing qualifying or practice, and that's not a good thing. We all have a life destination in mind, okay? So this car goes from a bare chassis to the racetrack. In between are the list, in between is the cart, in between is the, the, the building of the car, and it is built on a solid foundation that is laser perfect, that, it, that is perfectly level. We want to end up somewhere, and it takes us steps to get there. In your career, you had to go to college, you had to take some type of training, you had to learn some type of trade, uh, you know, finish school, all these different things that you had to do. You had to work your way up through the ranks at a particular business, and there were steps and there were programs that you went through. When we are not on a proper solid foundation, our, our lines can end up skewed. And of course, what is that foundation that we build our lives on? It's the Word of God, and it's Jesus, who is the Word of God. That's our secure foundation. Twelve-step programs tend to not have lasting effects without the proper foundation. So we want to talk about the proper foundation. And what does this have to do with the one another's? Well, this is why. Turn with me to Romans 15, verse 13 through 16. That's going to be our launching point today in Scripture. I love God's Word. Christians, we are called to admonish one another. Now, what does the word admonish mean to you? When I say admonish, what does that mean? Lift up, correct. Encourage. What? Teach, direct. Yeah, you guys got it. That's what the word admonish means. Now, why didn't I just use the word teach? Well, in the New Living Translation that I'm reading from today, it does say teach. But the word admonish, you can kind of remember that because we don't use the word admonish a whole lot anymore like we used to. So I want to use the word admonish because we can remember that one. It's just kind of one of those cool words, admonish. Makes you sound like you know some pretty cool uh, vocabulary, doesn't it? <laughs> Romans 15, 13 through 16 says, I pray that God... The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other about them. That's where the word in King James, New King James Version says admonish. You can admonish one another. You are full of goodness, so you can teach, you can admonish one another in these things. Even so, I have been told... Uh, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. So we know all these things, but we just need a reminder today. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring the good news so that I may present you as acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So there's the word. That's our launch point today. In verse 14 that we just read, that phrase again, teach one another, is written as admonish in other translations. So that's why we're using that word today. Everybody cool with that? Everybody say admonish. Say teach. teach. That's right, teach one another. So he's telling us to give biblical counseling to each other. Now, the only way that we're going to see here in just a moment, the only way we can give counseling that is from the Bible to one another is we have to know the Bible. We have provided a neat little study plan that you can read through the Bible in a year and you can check off each day. There are apps on your phone that you can download and you can even set a reminder at 6 a.m. To, to read your Bible and it will go off and you read your Bible, not 6 a.m., 7, 8, 10, 
whatever time you would, you're awake and alert and you need to read the Bible, you can set those, those things. But biblically, we need to counsel one another. Let's look at admonish a little bit more. Rebuke, instruction, exhortation, encouragement, warning to keep another from sin. In other words, admonishing is corrective guidance. Admonishing, you know, it, it may not necessarily be that the person is doing something wrong, but it's just an unwise thing. That's why it's great to have godly men. Maybe your dad was a godly person who can, who can you, you trust them, you know that they love you, and they can bring you uh, that, that particular type of, of guidance in your life. So what's the purpose of admonishing? The purpose of admonishing one another, why we want to admonish one another, again, and I'm talking to the congregation here. This is not for necessarily licensed counselors. As we're going through this, I do want to say this. There are some cases where you do need biblical licensed counselors to help you through a situation. And if you come and sit at my desk and I can't help you, I will refer you to someone who can. Because here's what I know, that God has given me certain gifts and abilities, and he's given other people gifts and abilities. And if I can't help you, I'm going to send you to someone who can, okay? Today we're talking about general things that we can admonish one another in. Colossians 1.28, this will be up on the screen here. Uh, we want to develop mature believers in Christ, says this. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone to teach everyone. Notice it says, warning everyone to teach everyone with all the wisdom that God has given I want to put emphasis there that God has given. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. We want to develop, the purpose of admonishing, admonishing is to develop mature believers in Christ. So that whole warning and teaching that's right there in Colossians is admonish. The word admonish. Godly counseling happens within the congregation from the congregants. It's not just a pastoral thing. The purpose is to cause spiritual growth among the believers to perfect their relationship with Christ. Now, we know that Scripture says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then we look around and we don't see a whole lot of perfect people, do we? I haven't met one yet. And I looked in the mirror this morning and I didn't even see it there. There are times I may think I'm a little per perfect, Tommy, but then reality hits and I'm like, ooh, I blew that. Stasha reminds me, one of the two. My wife will often... <laughs> Remind me of that. So if we can't be perfect, what does it mean? What does it mean? So that, that idea of attaining perfection means that we regularly make life decisions that reflect a biblical worldview. What is our life like? Are we constantly going back to the Word and making our decisions based off of what God says? That's all this is talking about. To be a mature believer is you are known for stopping before you make a decision and praying and asking God and going to the Word. As opposed to, man, I tell you what can get me sometimes is you're out, you know, let's say you go to the county fair or something like that or a festival downtown, and you walk by one of those caramel apple stands and you smell it. I don't take time to pray, Lord, should I get this? Now, I'll get it and I'll say, Lord, thank you. <laughs> but maybe I should have prayed. We're talking about serious life decisions, though, here. Do we stop and do we pray and ask the Lord? 
That's what this is talking about, becoming perfect in our relationship with the Lord, making regular decisions that reflect a biblical worldview. Now, a mature Christian is not someone who doesn't make mistakes. You just look to the Word when you're making decisions and repent when you make a bad one or when you sin. That's all we're talking about with this. A mature Christian makes good, biblical, Holy Spirit-led decisions. An immature Christian does not make good, biblical, and Holy Spirit-led decisions. But here's the hope that's in all this. Immature Christians are on their way to becoming mature Christians. Church, we cannot despise those who are not as far along in our walk with the Lord as we are. Maybe we've been serving the Lord all of their life, and all of a sudden, here's someone who comes along who just started their relationship with Jesus. Maybe the decisions they are making aren't exactly wise, but man, they're trying. What do we do? We encourage them. We admonish them. And then once we've built that relationship, we can point them to the Word of God as they are learning the Word of God. Amen? Can we commit to doing that, that we don't look down on those who maybe aren't as far along in their relationship with the Lord? Thank God that they are moving in their relationship with the Lord. And they will be there. Just think, you were there one time. How many of you were born a mature believer in Christ? Raise your hand. It's a journey. It's a journey to get there. An immature Christian also, you'll see this, decisions are based on a human perspective. So even, even mature Christians, I put that in quotes, even mature Christians, I want you to examine your life. I examine my life. Are there areas that I don't make decisions based on God's word? Candy apple stand, you know, moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips. <laughs> I've heard that somewhere before. And, of course, you realize I'm being silly with some of those things. Are my decisions consistently tied to God's word and a viewpoint or to a human point of view? The goal of maturity is for every believer. If you're a Christian in here today, your goal should be maturity in Christ. How do you get there? You've got to be in God's word more than Sunday and Wednesday or whenever you're in a church. Every day you're opening up either your Bible or you're opening up, as we call them, the pixels, and you have your Bible downloaded on your phone. You know, well, you, you sh- I think you should carry a paper Bible, you know, because that's what original. Well, they used to be on stones, and we don't carry stones around anymore, right? So as long as it's the Word of God, man, get it in you. Get, get the Word of God. Read it consistently. And uh, although I will say this, I do, I love my Bible that's paper because I can underline things in it. I can write little notes. So I kind of, I go back and forth between my phone and, and, and this right here as well. What are the qualifications? Because we don't want just anybody counseling us, right? Some of you thinking, you ain't going to counsel me. You're not going to be a girl. You're not. Um, Romans 15, 14 says this, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. We just read that. So here's a qualification for a counselor or someone who admonishes. The Bible says you must be full of goodness. Now I look here and there's a lot of good people within this church. Jamie, you're good too, buddy. I'm going to put you in there as well. We're full of a lot of good people. Ryan, you're a good man. You know, we're, we're, we're good people. We're going to see two things today that that makes us qualified to be a counselor or an admonisher. The first one must be full of goodness. In other words, you have an upright lifestyle. You are living to please God. You're not perfect, but you're in pursuit of God. 
Okay, well, how about the whole thing of judging? Now, I want to, we've talked about this before. I want to I tackle this again, this whole idea about judging, because, you know, there's people who don't judge me. You know, you'll have whatever your, your life statement is. Don't judge me, only God is my judge. By the way, that should scare us beyond anything. You can't scare me, only God is my judge. Say it boastfully. Really? God is your judge and you're okay with that? You know, let's, let's examine. Let me examine, David. You need to examine yourself before you say that. Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. So how can I be your counselor? How can I be your admonisher if the Bible says don't judge? We're going to look at this scripture uh, out of Matthew. As a matter of fact, if you want to turn... Uh, now, we're not going to be reading a lot there. So it's Matthew 7, 1 if you want to make a note of that. Actually, we will get there in a moment. So Matthew 7. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just excited about the seniors' lunch, even though I'm not 55. Because I'm the pastor, I get to go back there, serve them, and then eat. So it'll be like this. I'll have Miss Gail's plate taking it to her. Miss Gail, here's your chicken. I'm going to take a piece of it and hand it to her. Don't judge me. <laughs> Don't judge me. What Jesus is saying here when he says do not judge others is we don't judge based on preference. When we make judgments, it's in accordance to sin. So I can't judge you based on my preference. I may prefer to listen to you know, rap music in my vehicle or who do we listen to, Nathan? Skillet, all these type of people. You know, I may be jamming out, rolling into church, and you're thinking, the pastor listens to that kind of music? Well, it's Christian music. I mean, it's just, I, I'm not going to judge you based on your music. Yesterday, we were working over at the, um, at the Serenity House, and I had to go move Mr. Stowe's truck. And there was country, western, Christian music that was playing in there. You guys know how I feel about country, western. I just, I don't know. I just, I want to go ride a horse or something. And I love riding horses. I do. I love riding horses. It, was, it took everything within me to not change that channel to like rap or rock or something like that. Oh, that would have been great. But he, he would have judged me. <laughs> so you have different people in here. You have it, exactly. You have the rocker on the electric guitar. and yeah. We don't judge based on preference because we are free. Judging preferences is different from judging sins, and we've gotten it confused within the church. So where are we to be judges? Well, if you want to write these down, I'm going to go through these quickly. But Matthew 7, 15, the Bible tells us, judge false prophets. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17 says, judge unrepentant believers. Hebrews 5, 14 says, judge good versus evil. We teach our kids that. 1 Corinthians 5 says, judge the evil man that's in your midst. 1 Peter 4, 15 through 17 says, judgment will begin in the household of God. So we see all through the Bible it says to judge, right? 1 Corinthians says, set up court within the church for members. We don't have that here at Abundant Life, do we? But that's what, uh, in Corinthians, that's what Paul was telling the church at Corinthians. How dare you go to the lawyers? How dare you go to the worldly courts and, and you shame you know, the name of Christ because you're taking your mess in there? Let us judge it here in the church. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be. Wow, man, talk about we could, church court. It'd be on TV or something. You know, we'd find a way. Where are we to be judges? Not when it comes to preference, but when it comes to sin. 
we should judge for these type of things, not preferences. Let's keep going in Matthew where it says 7-1, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Verse 2 says, For you will be treated as you treat other people. Or you will be judged as you judge other people. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Do you see how Jesus just turned that around? He said, don't judge lest you be judged. But then he talks about deal with your sin. Once, you're dealing with, once you have dealt with that, then you can judge. Now, it's not the word judge as we think about it anymore. You know, we, well, you shouldn't be doing, you know, you get your hands on your hips and you wag your head a little bit and you suck your teeth. You know, it's not that type of thing. The judging that we're talking about is the admonishing and the loving in hopes of bringing that immature believer to a mature believer in Christ. That's the kind of judging that he's... T- I can deal with that type of judging. I can't deal with the, you know, you've got to get your hip out. I can't deal with that. If you are going to judge, Jesus is saying, make sure you are qualified to do so. You have goodness within you and... If you are committing the same sin, don't judge. Deal with your heart. Deal with that sin that you have. And then you can come alongside instead of saying, Doug, I see what you've been wrestling with. You come alongside, Doug, I have been there, man. And I want to tell you, God wants to set you free from that sin. And I want to help you with that because I have been there. How much more is he going to receive that than you sinner? I saw what you did, you know. (laughs) Oh, you start, oh, you can... (laughs) He's about to rise up on somebody. <laughs> it wasn't in the name of Jesus. I don't know what he was getting ready to do. The speck and the log are made of the same material. It's the sin that's there. And Jesus is saying, you know, don't deal with the speck in Doug's eye when you have a log in your own. Deal with it. Then you can go back and judge in the right way. Otherwise, you bring judgment upon yourself. So when we are admonishing our brothers and our sisters in Christ, we have dealt with the sin, we are full of goodness, and we're about to see the second point where we know the Word of God and we can take it in love to them. A judge must be full of goodness, an encourager, an admonisher, a teacher must be full of goodness so that you will judge with a pure heart and love. I can get on board with that, right? I can, I can totally get on board with that. Romans 15, 14 Just to back this up, the last part of that verse says, You know these things so well, you can teach others about them. So here's our our next point when it comes to um, qualifications for being an admonisher. Admonisher, you've got to be full of goodness, and you must be filled with knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Biblical knowledge. How do you get full of biblical knowledge? You study the Word. You're here at church, at Bible studies. You go to different meetings that we have. You listen on podcasts. You listen on the radio. You are, more importantly, you are in the Word yourself. And you are filled with God's knowledge, with the, word, with the knowledge that, that, that God gives. Um, it's a biblical, I'm sorry, it's, a, it, it's God's perspective on the matter. Biblical knowledge is not man's knowledge. That's, again, man's knowledge is where you get the hip out. The hands on the, that, that's what, I want you to get that image. This is a horrible image, okay? We're not talking about man's knowledge. We're talking about God's word 
and his perspective on the matter. Colossians 3.16 says, Let this message about Christ in all its riches, richness, let it fill your lives. Teach and counsel, or admonish, each other with all the wisdom that he gives. That's how we're to teach and admonish, admonish one another. Not what I think on the matter, but what God says on the matter. The Holy Spirit, now let's combine these two. Let's com- a person full of goodness and a person filled with knowledge. Let's combine them. The Holy Spirit works within a good life and with a good word. So if someone comes up to you and they are living a, what you would consider a good life based on God's word, and they have a good word that comes from the Bible, you can trust that word and you can, help, you can trust that it will put you on the right path to becoming a mature believer. God's word and admonish one another. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. Am I a good person and do I know the word? You may not know all of the word, but the word that you do know that God has given to you, you can pass that on to other people and you are admonishing. See, admonishing is not strictly just for people who have been in church all their lives. It's for someone who has gotten a hold of God's word. It has transformed their lives and then they go back and they begin to tell their friends about it. Donovan, I'm going to tell this story just real quick. Donovan just came to the Lord about a month ago, two months ago, made that decision to follow Christ and uh, made some decisions to stop doing this, to stop doing that, not because somebody told him he had to, but because the Holy Spirit began dealing with him. He began getting in his word, downloaded on his phone, all this thing, reading the Bible. One of his friends came over and said, hey, Donovan, let's go out back, let's have a beer. And uh, You know, I can't do that anymore. I just I just, I just can't do that anymore, and this is why. And the guy was like, oh, really? Maybe we need to talk a little bit more about that. A one-month-old Christian encouraging, admonishing someone in the Lord. That's what we're all about. That's what it's all about. Praise God. We're still praying for you, Donovan, by the way. We prayed Wednesday night for Donovan. I want to pray again. Can we do that? We're led by the Spirit, and we pray, so we're going to stop what we're doing. Donovan went in for a scan, and so the doctor originally thinks it could be a tumor in his brain. So we just want to pray against that. Tommy and Rhonda, will you guys just reach around there, and Ryan, and just lay hands on him. Lord, we just lift up Donovan before you in Jesus' name, and we declare healing over his life by the Word of God. Father, I pray that as these results come back, no matter what they are, we know that Jesus is the great physician. And Lord, we ask that if there's a tumor there, that you begin to shrink it and get rid of it, that it would be dissolved in Jesus' name. And Lord, for these headaches that he's having, the dizziness, the black spots, Lord, I come against that and rebuke it in Jesus' name, and I declare health over his life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Acts 20, 31 says, Watch out, remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch and care over you day and night, and my many tears from you. I want somebody who's admonishing me to be able to cry with me. I want somebody to know the word. I want somebody to be full of goodness. I want for them to just come alongside and be able to tear up. I want them to be able to laugh with me. I want them to be able to feel my struggle. Last week we talked about bear one another's burdens. Don't carry their load. Just bear their burden with them. This is what an admonisher does. Biblical counseling 
involves care for the person, not judgmentalism. Are you willing to cry? And here, I want to bring this up too. When someone shares their, put quotes, their dirt with you, are you willing to not share it with other people? And often it comes across as this. Philip, did you hear what Danny did? We need to pray for him. Here's what he did so that we can pray. We make it spiritual, don't we? We make gossip so spiritual. We just need to, we need to pray for Danny. Oh, Lord, you saw, you saw what he did. Right, Philip? And this is what he did. Can we be willing to listen and not share people's dirt, but instead lift them up and push them on to maturity in Christ? It's God's Word. I almost feel like God's saying, stop that. Don't share each other's dirt. Bear one another's burdens. It's not your place to share their dirt. Would you want them sharing yours? And here's the reality. We're the family of God. We're family. When Nathan's struggling with something, I'm not going to tell you all about it. We may go to the elders and pray. If Wayne is struggling in an area, I'm not going to go tell you his dirt. We may pray, and if he decides to bring it out, then, then we'll do that, right? We're family here. We're going to close with John, uh, James 5, 19 and 20. Ms. Vicki, whenever you finish writing that, you can come on up. We've got just a couple minutes. But it says this in James 5, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, I, I, man, I could focus on that brought back. We could do a whole message on brought back. There is something about people who have wandered away from the truth and they come back to Christ. In the middle of it, we want to wring their necks. You have that, especially family members. You want to wring your family member's neck. You know better than that. But we admonish. I have those family members. But we admonish them, especially if they know the truth of God's word. And they may not want to hear it from you. I got that too. I've gotten that before. I don't want to hear it from you. But you began to pray for them. God sends somebody their way that won't judge them based on preference, but will help them through this season of immaturity, to bring them to maturity, and bring them back. In verse 20, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And church, for too long, I'm not saying abundant life, but I'm going to say the church at times, has for too long, we're more satisfied with judging people because of their sin rather than recognizing that that says you can be sure that you will save them from death. Are you struggling today? I want to be a friend to you. And I hope that every single one of you wants to be a friend to the you don't know what the person beside of you is dealing with. And it could be some type of major sin. You know, this thing right here said that 73% of people who identify with Christians have had an abortion. We need to wrap our arms around them, not judge them. God wants to heal them. God wants to heal. I don't know what you've done, but I know that the grace of God and that the Word of God and that people who are full of goodness 
can bring someone back so that the guilt and the shame of whatever it is that they're facing is erased because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of our smooth words, but because of our love. You, you will know them by their love towards one another. And they're presenting the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We counsel one another to save one another from something worse happening. We're talking about family. We look out for family. We protect family. I want you to stand just for a moment as we're closing out here. And I want to read this last quote from Tony Evans that came from this study that we're doing, direct quote. And it says this, A friend gets in your way when you are on the way down. I love that. A friend will get in your way when you're on the way down. That's what admonishing does. When someone is going towards sin, we get in their way. You know what? Man, I can't. We don't, we don't go with them. <laughs> we get in their way so they can't continue. Man, I've got to warn you. I've been down the road that you've been down, or I haven't been down the road that you've been down, but I know what God's Word says. Can we turn back and go the other way, and I'll help you with this? Or we can go see an elder. We can go see the pastor. We can pray right here together. Don't forget, you may need this kind of friend one day. Amen? We may need this kind of friend. So let's admonish one another on the way out. Encourage, 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 encourage. Maybe you're a visitor here with us today. Encourage somebody on their way out. And Abundant Life family, if you see a new face here today, love, hug on, thank them for being here today. Encourage them. Thank you for worshiping with us today. It was great to have you here with us. Tomorrow when you go to work and you know believers are in the office or the kids are at school, admonish them. Or maybe you have a friend who doesn't know the Lord and you see the path that they're going down. You're thinking, man, encourage them, admonish them. We commit to do that? Amen. Well, I want to ask this question because I do it every service. Uh, Abundant Life, you know, you're well aware of this and we've talked about this. You could have been in church all your life and never received Jesus. There may be people here at Abundant Life who I've known you the five years we've been here almost. Um, but I always give opportunity for people to receive Jesus as their Savior. And um, maybe the life that you've been living has not been one that follows Christ. There's something about making Jesus uh, Savior of your life, but then making Him Lord of your life, where you're following Him all your days. Uh, but I want to give you that first opportunity today that He would be your Savior. What that basically means is that you know that there is a God. You've heard that Jesus Christ is God's Son. And that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, came, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins on the cross. In other words, he took all the punishment, all the sin. How can we make statements like this today that we, our sins are forgiven? Well, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. It took a perfect offering, a perfect sacrifice for our sins to be forgiven. And you say, I've never asked Jesus to forgive my sins before forgive me of my sins before and I do believe that he's the son of God and I want to make that confession publicly today here's what I ask I just ask that you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for so anybody you want to accept Jesus as your savior today anybody at all all right amen so here's what I say of this too that means that we're all believers in here and we have an opportunity this week to go share our faith we can't force people to come to Christ but we can ask 
that the Holy Spirit draws them. Amen. Will you commit to do that with me this week? Amen. Amen. Well, Stasha and I, we love you so much. The boys too, I need to throw them in on there. We love you guys so much and we are so, I don't know, we, we just keep pinching ourselves, you know, almost five years. We keep pinching ourselves that we get to serve alongside such a great group of people. So um, I will see you at the back. I'm going to ask Miss Gail, uh, since she's right up front here, if she will pray. And Larry, he's coming down as well. These are some elders here at the church. Um, if you need prayer in any area today, once we're finished, we're dismissed. Come down, let them pray for you. Uh, they're going to let you know that the seniors are going to stay in here for a few moments if you're planning on eating. The staff uh, are going to go back and a few volunteers are going to go back, help set up lunch. By the way, if you're not doing anything, you want to go help set up, you'll have to leave. You can't stay and get lunch, but <laughs> I can. <laughs> but if you want to serve our seniors by helping set up, please go to the back and do that. Matter of fact, go ahead and do that now. If you're serving uh, the seniors go back and you can do that now. But Larry and Gail, will you come pray for us? I'll see you at the back door. God bless you. We love you.